1: Welcome to episode 117 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things.
0: And I'm Andy Stewart, occasional filmmaker and not the biggest fan of the Saw franchise.
1: <laughs> and joining us tonight, they are respectively the director and star of the Fright Fest selection The Honeymoon Phase, it's Philip G. Carroll Jr. and Chloe Carroll. Guys, Hello.
2: Hello, thank you so much for having us on your podcast tonight. We're super excited. Big Saw fans on this side of the pond. So I think it's going to be an interesting discussion. Speaking
1: as the only person so far who has brought a Saw film to the table, also, thank you for joining us and thank you for picking a Saw film.
2: (laughs) You're very welcome. Uh, As I'm sure we'll dive into Chloe and I, uh, our relationship is kind of based around Saw. And, uh, you know, any marriage, I'm sure the honeymoon phase of things may pass. So I don't know if Chloe's Chloe's opinion of Saw 3 stands as high as mine or not, but we'll learn that tonight, I guess, together.
1: <laughs> yeah, now, I do kind of want to dig into this because, so I get the impression that your enthusiasm for Saw 3 is, I would say, quite high, as is mine. Chloe, I was hearing on the grapevine that on rewatch, you maybe weren't so sure?
3: I, I really like the Saw series. I just, like, really don't, like, prolonged torture scenes and (laughs) saw three has like the worst ones so i was just especially last night i was like particularly emotional and i just couldn't watch it like most of them i just didn't watch (laughs) uh it just makes me feel so sick (laughs) (laughs) that's a great start from the people who
1: are defending the film
3: (laughs) (laughs) no but i think the story is really cool um and i I like the storyline for saw overall just some of those traps man they're they're so gruesome
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah i kind of i kind of thought on rewatch and i i mean i'm i'm if i'm not a big fan of every film on this franchise i certainly feel like i have very specific opinions about them all and i remember saw three as being one that i really liked but i did kind of forget exactly how kind of grimy it is and how nasty it is and i think that maybe that's also true so far
2: they tried with each one i think in the original trilogy they tried raising the bar and the third one you know, as a Saw fan, I always remember the third one as kind of the one where they, they pulled out all the stops with the traps. And I, I don't know officially as a number count if it has the most, but I'm going to guess that I think it does in terms of just the sheer number. Like it's almost nonstop for the first, you know, 20 minutes of the film um, before they even get into like the main game. There's just trap after trap of, you know, taking out the, the investigators working on the, the jigsaw case. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Okay, so let's talk a little bit about everyone's background with this. So, uh, Andy, you first. Now, I'm aware that your affection for the Saw series does not rival mine, and I'm guessing Philip and Chloe's. Mm-hmm. But what what's your kind of what's your kind of route to watching this again tonight?
0: Okay, so uh, I have seen every one of these films. I've I saw them all in the cinema, with the exception of Jigsaw, which I'm kind of glad about. This one, I felt was the peak of where Saw could go and then I was just saying to Philip and Chloe before we hit record that I feel that it has a pretty marked drop off after this point as you know Mitch you tried fruitlessly to defend Saw Six to me in an episode quite a long time <laughs> ago and uh yeah I just I, I feel like this is the last point where Saw was good if not great okay okay so Philip you mentioned
1: that uh you and Chloe's relationship or you said that you guys relationship is uh heavily predicated around Saw and uh I have never heard anyone say that before, and I would like to know more.
3: It's not heavily. <laughs> I think so. Well, <laughs> if, what?
2: if you ask the, uh, the the young woman who was with Chloe on our first, you know, date, I think she would defend my, my explanation. Uh, we tortured her with our discussion of Saul. Chloe and I met online, and, uh, you know, we were talking about our mutual love of film. And when we got together for our first in-person meeting at this, um, I guess it was like a pub. In Pennsylvania. We sat down, and the first film that we talked about was Saw. And I think it was the only film series that we talked about for three hours that night. And this poor girl, (laughs) that was Chloe's friend, that was there, you know, pretty much to make sure I wasn't, you know, a weirdo. Uh, Probably all her worst fears were confirmed when I was talking about Saw for three hours with Chloe.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, your friend just sitting opposite making hand signals, like, let's go, let's go, let's go.
3: she was like this guy's a weirdo and i was like yeah but so am i so it's it's really going well
1: yeah. she <laughs> least- like, like texting you under the table being
2: like blink three times if you need
1: assistance <laughs>
2: <laughs> on our wedding night that her her friend um was there heidi and uh you know when we were talking about how basically she was a part of us meeting um she just continuously brings up that we tortured her with saw so we Amazing. we you're basically our own saw trap to her just. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I kind of love that. So, guys, I don't know if you've heard the show before or not, but Ooh. we do make every guest that comes on do one thing before we start. So you may want to uh, talk amongst yourselves and nominate a person to do it. Basically, we try and do a thing where we, for the benefit of anyone who is listening to this without having seen the film, I feel like this may be especially difficult for the third entry in a seven film series but um, (laughs) basically Andy will put 30 seconds on the clock we'll count you in and one of the two of you will need to give your best 30 second synopsis of Saw 3. So uh, first off uh, which one of the two of you wants to take the plunge?
3: It's gonna be Phil. (laughs) (laughs) Okay
1: Phil I guess you're on your own how you feeling about this?
2: You know, I uh, I wasn't prepared, and uh, with saw, I think it's probably particularly difficult to sum up in thirty seconds. But I'm I'm game. Let's do this.
1: Yeah, we'll do, we'll try and do. I'm trying to think about how much knowledge we should assume from the first two. All oh. because I don't I don't want you to like. Sell your first ten or fifteen seconds down the river by contextualizing the first two films. So let's yeah. just. I don't want you telling.
0: Bit. I don't want you telling me that John Kramer's got a brain tumor and a lot of back, <laughs> a lot of backstory about. I don't want his medical records. I just let's talk about this film specifically.
2: Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll give you the uh, the back of you know the DVD box.
0: We've had all sorts before. I'm sure someone's done that in the past. So I, I, if you can get through the back of the DVD box in thirty seconds, you're more than welcome to do so.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like, like if you want to turn this into a speed reading exercise, that's your decision. <laughs> right. Andy, do we have 30 seconds on the clock? Of course we do. Okay, Philip,
2: are you ready? I am ready. Okay, three, two, one, go. So Saw 3 starts with Detective Matthews captive in the original bathroom, and he's trying to find his way out, and he can't. He breaks off his foot, basically, and then we go into the main storyline, which is Jigsaw is on his deathbed. And uh, he's kidnapped a nurse to try and keep him alive in order to witness this guy Jeff try and complete his own test that Jigsaw set forth for him. uh, While detectives try and find him, as always, Uh, Jeff survived most of the.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not gonna lie. I thought that that was gonna go way worse than it did because when you like, I was like, he's wasting valuable seconds on Donnie Wahlberg getting out of this bathroom. (laughs)
2: you know i realized too late into that scene that i was like oh crap yeah this is this is not going well but at least i think i got the setup i've also got to say i think there was ample
0: opportunities for you to stop i actually a couple of times thought you were that you were about to call it a day and i would have been happy at the your exit points would have been fine yeah there
1: was times that i was like he's home and dry he can stop whenever he wants he's got this
3: (laughs)
2: Well, I wanted to see how far I could get into the storyline.
1: And like I, I would say pretty far. I would say and by the way, also, I one thing that I forgot about this until I sat down to rewatch it, I rewatched this on Sunday. And I've seen them all a few times, but I would say I haven't seen this one in maybe four or five years. And um I put it on and I remember the first thing that came to mind I was like, huh.
2: An hour and fifty-three minutes, really. <laughs> Now which here here's a question which cut did you guys watch the theatrical or the director's cut I watched the director's cut I'm not okay.
0: entirely sure but mine was 110 minutes so,
2: so we watched the theatrical cut I own the director's cut but we we just moved to Los Angeles from Pennsylvania and all my dvds are back home so we had to watch whichever cut we could get our hands on and it was the theatrical right. um, so it's interesting to see what the differences are between the director's cut because some some of the saw films the director's cuts are better and some i, I actually prefer the theatrical cut
1: like cause it was the, it was the director's cut i watched and i think that like basically a lot of what you get extra is just trained on making the kind of torture and trap sequences more unpleasant like i don't think that it really uh sure plants any more seeds than that in all honesty i think that like the, the extra time is almost all additional broken bones and additional people screaming
2: okay so i guess uh, for chloe's sake we, she didn't miss out on anything
3: yeah i'm not watching that version <laughs>
1: yeah like chloe yeah yeah you, you're fine you made the right decision
0: no my wife she can she can watch most things she she can't do ghosts or demons but most other things are fair game she can't do the saw films um, and she did poke her head in while I was watching this, and my office, and she was like, "Listen to this film. Listen to what you're watching." And it was just at that point where the guys on
2: the rack. Oh, uh, <laughs> hold, hold, hold her ears now!
3: <laughs> uh, actually, that's that's the I, I can't even talk about that one. Like that <laughs> is the one drop that like I could like. I sat on the sofa last night when we were watching it and you know I just put my fingers in my ears and cover my eyes if I don't want to watch it and that one I can't even be in the room like I went <laughs> to the bedroom And I put on like a YouTube video and I was like, show me when it's over, because it just like that, like will actually make me vomit. I'm like, that is disgusting.
2: (laughs) We just just, like listening to Anya or something. (laughs) (laughs) Just for some context for you guys, uh, because I don't know how much you know about Chloe and I outside of the honeymoon phase, but Chloe is like a horror nut and she owns her own horror production company and she has a horror YouTube channel where she makes horror short films. So if she can't watch something. It's it's pretty gruesome.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I like I my favorite kind of gore is like really over the top, like kind of a little bit fake looking gore because like <laughs> sure. I because I know it's like fake and it's like stupid. But like saw is just literally like really hardcore torture and it looks real and I'm just like oh, I like I can do those kinds of like SFX wounds. Like I've got like um. A bunch that you can see online it's one i did one of like an arm and like all the veins coming out and Good like one. i can do like really grossest effects and i know how it's done but i just can't watch other people's if they look really real <laughs>
1: okay <laughs> um by the way we're definitely going to get into all of that at the end of this thing however <laughs> um, for now i feel like we should probably at some point start talking about Let's talk like, about saw yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, yeah, um, as you mentioned in your synopsis, Philip, we do open on uh, everyone's second or third favourite new kid on the block, Donnie Wahlberg, um, (laughs) trying to get himself out of this bathroom. And we get the first of what is a pretty much endless sequence of uh, fairly horrendous body horror as he uh, breaks his foot with...
0: Is it a cistern lid? Yes, yes it is.
1: Yeah, um, to get get himself out of there. And then we're straight into the, the first trap.
0: Can I just quickly Mitch, tell you about that bathroom? I don't know if you, oh, I yes, know, if you, you know this piece of trivia. Uh, they approached the producers of Scary Movie, one of the Scary Movie films, um, who had made a picture perfect reproduction of the bathroom. Um, mm-hmm. So they they used a Scary Movie set for the for the, <laughs> for the bathroom in this.
1: No way. Yep, that is amazing. I think I want to say that Scary Movie Four. That's amazing. I didn't know that.
2: That's so funny. I, you know, I remember reading that a few years ago, um, but I totally forgot it rewatching the movie. But that's, you know, that's uh, ingenious producing.
0: Absolutely, yeah,
1: yeah. It's like it's like um, it's like it's like, it's like very good producing, but ten out of ten opportunism. Yes. <laughs> so yeah let's talk the first trap that we get here so it's troy uh troy whose crime uh according to jigsaw is kind of squandering this privileged existence by uh being in and out of jail multiple times uh his punishment for this is that he has a bunch of chains uh, kind of threaded or kind of uh, forced through various parts of anatomy to free himself he has to kind of yank all of them out of himself mm. um this is a pretty good scene setter or tone setter for what you're gonna get because this is fucking horrible
0: it is. Yeah, it really is horrible. I actually think this, this film, and kind of echoing what Macaulay said a minute ago, I actually think this film has some of the most grueling and horrible traps in the entire series. And I don't think this one's any exception to that. Uh, I mean, what this guy goes through, I can't even see if I've got a little hangnail. I can't even bite <laughs> that off. Like, so to, to think for a minute that I could do this, I'd probably just sit down and blow up.
3: <laughs> but the the traps too i mean they're especially bad in this one because like you can't get out of them yeah so like i, I mean like the he has one in his jaw like you can't pull your own jaw off. like you would like die from blood loss like they're unwinnable so like it's just even worse it's like all right let's this guy's gonna like hurt himself for a little while before he eventually dies you know and it's just like oh i don't, I don't see this
1: <laughs> yeah, like, like I think like that's kind of an important thing you've hit on there, though, Chloe, because obviously, like, the first couple of traps that we see, like you say, they are unwinnable. And that is obviously a break from the jigsaw MO. But I think it's really funny, because obviously, Troy, I mean, like, he's got these massive chains threaded through his arms, shoulders, um, Achilles, which for me is the worst one. That's just one of those things that I just can't deal with
2: oh yeah sure um here for you to see chloe just squirming right now as you describe the trap
1: yeah um i'm sorry for all the times that that's about to happen
3: Um, (laughs) uh, the the one i don't like
1: (laughs) um but, but yeah, like you say, I mean, like, I, I think it's funny when obviously we, obviously Troy dies and then we get this crime scene investigation where um, Hoffman is here and who we'll get to in a sec and uh, uh, Detective Kerry is here. But also the, the thing that they notice about the, um, the break in the MO is it's like, all oh, the exit was welded shut. There's no way that he could have escaped. It's like he had a chain through his jaw. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's the principal reason why he wasn't going to escape.
2: And I, I like that you mentioned Hoffman there. That was the one thing uh, for, I guess, the the fans of the Saw lore in the audience that I noticed is, you know, they're setting the seeds for that character mm. in Saw 3. You know, that he'll become important later on in the series. But it, it was funny just seeing him in that scene because uh, it is the first time you see him and they don't really make too big of a deal of him. Like if if I hadn't seen any films after that, I just would have thought he was a you know an extra basically like,
0: yeah. a guy. Yeah. yeah, I actually messaged Mitch when I was watching it earlier today. It's weird looking back, knowing what you now know about Hoffman. I was I said to Mitch, "Look how evil he is! Like <laughs> he is the most sinister, evil face. He's listening clearly, listening so intently to everything that's been said. It's remarkable that no one knew at the time."
1: And I mean, I would I would say that. I think that you guys are right. There's an element of the fact that hindsight's twenty twenty, and like looking back, you're like, oh yeah, he's shady. But like, you don't really notice how much of a moustache twiddly vibe he's given off <laughs> until, <laughs> until you know uh, kind of what he goes on to be. But yeah, um, at this point, I think more kind of relevant for our purposes is um, Alison Kerry, played here by uh, Dina Meyer, who has been in so many films that we've covered on the show. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've grown to deeply, deeply love Dina Meyer with all my heart.
1: Yeah, she gets a particularly rough ride, I think, because I, I think that the scene where she's abducted is really cool. When uh, you know, you see the cat when she's at home and you see the camera, and then she, like kind of she's on she's on screen, and then you then you see her getting abducted. The trap that she's in is horrendous, and again, uh, unwinnable. Sure.
2: Yeah, it's uh, I, I feel like in a way, not, I love this film, so I don't I don't want to be too critical, but. One of the things that I think stands out in the Saw series is I don't think there was really any female detectives that uh, have led kind of that storyline. Because most of the Saw films have the, you know, the investigator storyline going parallel with the main game. And I think with her character, they probably could have done more with her before killing her off and maybe given like the way that, you know, Riggs has his own storyline in four and then, you know. Uh, the FBI agent in five, it, it would have been nice maybe to see a female perspective, you know, having her lead one of the films before killing her off. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, cause the only, other, the only other one
1: that I can think of is um, uh, agent Perez, who I think is in soft four, but again, like you say, I mean, like she is very much ancillary. And um, she's kind of rushed out of a scene after a ceramic doll explodes in her face. Yeah, yeah. Um, She 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 later reappears, I think in Saw Six, but then also just long enough to immediately die. (laughs) 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 Like I I think that she pitches up and it's like, huh, where is this going? And then twenty minutes later, she like dies in a fire. And I was like, oh, I see. Nowhere. (laughs) Never mind.
0: This film might also be, by the way, one of the last times where you can kind of look at the traps and go, right, okay, I can kind of see how one or two people put this together. Like, later on, when you've got carousels and all sorts of things, it gets a little bit unbelievable. But this has got a kind of homemade mythbusters vibe about it.
2: <laughs> you know, Chloe and I were actually debating as we were watching uh, that trap where Chloe was really upset at the fact that she believes you can just tip over... The vial of acid, and then grab the key. Yeah,
3: mm-hmm. the chains were like loose enough that she could just pull most of the acid out, and then get um, the key. And it just, I don't like it. Literally, didn't make sense, and then it annoyed me.
0: Oh, Chloe, if we can only <laughs> tr- we can only try to put ourselves in her shoes. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Um, I was watching I was watching this with my
1: flatmate, and genuinely, like, as soon as it started, when this when this started, he was like that. That beaker full of acid isn't like affixed to anything. That's just on two very loose hanging chains. It's like, and she has a large amount of autonomy in her forearms. It's like she could she can tell that out for quite a bit. So I didn't clock it. Um, but but yeah, uh, you definitely have a point. Um, but also yeah, like, I mean, win or lose, like she's she's fucked. This trap is unwinnable. She's graphically torn, uh, kind of limb from limb, but uh, not before she acknowledges an unseen person that she obviously recognizes she gasps she says you and then she dies
2: yes Thinking, uh you know at later who who that will be revealed as <laughs>
1: um yeah i i think that later might be like a couple of films later like that like and and there's a couple of things actually that this film does where it seeds something and you're like oh that's kind of confusing i'm not sure that hangs together and i think that the, this series doesn't get done with answering the questions that this film raises until sauce six
2: yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, not skipping too uh, ahead, but you know, we'll get to the letter. I'm sure that Amanda reads that. We have no idea what's in it until I think it's saw six. Yeah. I, mm-hmm.
3: I wonder if the series like wrote them as they were going, and they wrote random things in there that didn't make sense. And like, just in case we do another sequel, that this'll make sense then. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so, like, the um, the chicken and egg element of that is fascinating to me. Like, I am very curious to know how much of these things were logic flaws that got retconned into correctness, or how much of this was, like, long-form
0: plans. You've got to believe that some of it was at least planned out or sketched out in advance. Yeah, you'd hope.
3: Or the directors well, just read the reviews, and anything that said it was a plot hole, they were like, well, wait for the next one. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just with big corks into the storyline. There you go. There you go. Plugged.
2: That hold. I think I would be surprised if they planned a lot of it out ahead of time because, you know, the second movie I believe was based off of a script that Darren, uh, the director, had written that they then retconned into the Saw universe by adding Jigsaw into it. Um, Oh, okay. Saw three. You know, it feels like they probably were like, okay, this might be the last one, so let's let's wrap it up, and then. The The final chapter, I know we're not talking about that film, but the way that that film ends, you know, is very much kind of like fan theories. So I'm curious, you know, if, if they were just trying to please fans with that ending or, or what. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, they, they pretty much, they were putting them out every year, um, so they wouldn't have much time to write them. <laughs> mm, so maybe they... Maybe they had ideas in the back of their minds too.
1: Yeah, because I mean, I think like, I mean, obviously the writer director teams and stuff kind of alternate. I don't think that they change that dramatically, but they alternate. I think that like, I think by the time you get to like Saw Six, the director is the guy who'd edited the first few and stuff like yes. that. But I think there's there's a lot of the same irons in the fire and a lot of the same kind of cooks in the kitchen
2: mm-hmm. through yes. all of them. Yeah, I think Saw's four, five, and six had the same writing team. I think they were the the guys that wrote Piranha three D think ah so i i was like a huge saw nerd in my teen years and like i would be all over the wikipedia's like you know checking in every couple of months to see like what new info was added and everything so i'm trying to like reclaim you know in the back of my head some of that info i used to have
1: (laughs) (laughs) inevitably of course it's a saw film so we have to have a b story Yes. Um, and this is kind of what we get introduced to at this point. Although, I suppose we meet Lynn first, Dr. Lynn Denlin. We see her kind of dispassionately leave what appears to be her husband. This is obviously a traditional Saul lampoon, but we don't realize that until way later. Sure. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I really, actually but... really like that twist. Yeah, me too. They did a good job. It's because he asked for a divorce, and you never really assume somebody else, you know, asking for a divorce in the way that he phrases it. So you just assume that's the husband. True. Yeah, I I
1: think that a lot of the twists in the later films in the series proceed on vagueness of wording of things and stuff like that. And <laughs> I don't even necessarily that sounds like I'm being facetious, and actually I quite like that. I like the fact that it's like, oh, that's what they meant.
2: <laughs> it's funny when we were watching it last night during the like one of the final reveals where Jigsaw's monologuing, Chloe verbally said, "Just shut the hell up! Like, just shut up, Jigsaw. You're you know you're <laughs> you're kind of." <laughs> Leading Jeff to make certain decisions at the end based on your wording and how you're playing, you know, puzzle games with your your grammar
3: But I also <laughs> I like that because it kind of like hints to Jigsaw's character actually kind of one in one in the violent approach because mm. if he just like, shut up and just acted pathetic Like they probably leave him alone you know, but then yeah. he's like, "I want you need to. Can you forgive me for all the torture you've just seen?" You're like, "Shut up!" <laughs> 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 and then he smiles when he like puts the chainsaw cutter of thing like on, and I'm, and then so it's like, "Oh, I think he likes it." You know, he's all sure. about like I condone murder, but mm-hmm. I think he actually likes it a little bit.
2: I think you're enjoying <laughs> of the probably back back half of the Saw movies is fully dependent on if you like the word games or not, because so much of it just comes down to, like, oh, if you listened to him and, and kind of deciphered what he said, you know, everything would have been fine from, from the start. Um, and I like that stuff. I, I think that's, I like puzzle boxes like that.
0: Can I just quickly say at this juncture, I think Tobin Bell's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. I I, I, I also think it's, it's kind of cool that he was kind of like a character actor until he was, like, in his late 70s, and then he just became this icon out of nowhere
2: yeah i think that the saw three as a whole overall i think has some of the best acting in the series like there's not too many performances that are like cheesy or over the top like some Mm -hmm. of the films you can point out are, you know bad acting but i think saw three is legitimately good acting in a lot of points i'm looking at you saw one (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, I think, uh, Philip, when we were kind of talking about what we were going to do here and which film we are going to choose, and you basically said that you guys wanted to do a Saw film, your first choice was Saw 6, which I respect. Um, <laughs> but when you were choosing between Saw 3 and 4, when you guys settled on Saw 3, I was like, you're letting yourselves off the hook a little bit there. <laughs>
2: you know, I, I think one of the reasons why I prefer to do three uh, as opposed to four, was four was the only one in the whole series where the twist was ruined for me prior to seeing it.
1: Ah, oh right. yeah.
2: I love four for for its own merits, but uh, knowing that you know I didn't authentically experience it, I think for the first time as a kid, uh, you know, it, it taints it a little bit, I guess, for me.
1: Yeah, takes the air out of it a little
2: bit. Yeah,
1: but yeah, we've got Lynn Denlin here. She is. Um... An adulterous, an adulterous wife, as we will come to find out. She's also a uh, a surgeon of good repute, although she's obviously struggling a little bit. We see her getting to the hospital and getting kind of like pulled up for kind of underperforming, turning up late to things, stuff like that. She's very quickly um, abducted and we're taken to kind of like one of the two kind of centerpieces of the film, which is this kind of grimy underground makeshift intensive care unit where John Kramer Jigsaw is. He's kind of really struggling here. Amanda, the apprentice from the reveal at the end of Saw Two. Appears and fits her with a shotgun collar and explains that uh, this shotgun collar will discharge if she tries to leave, or if John Kramer dies.
0: Fair enough, yeah, yeah.
1: And I think that it's funny that on first watch, I was like, "Oh, that feels kind of convoluted." When you think about what happens later.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you mentioned the uh, the set of of the you know makeshift hospital room, and I just want to touch upon—I've never noticed it before—but last night rewatching it. Uh, most of the stuff in that room, I think, is really well done in terms of the production design. You know, mm-hmm. you have, I think, like, little Buddhist statues and stuff that John Kramer would, would want. But then there's randomly, like, some, like, demonic, like, almost, like, Satanist stuff on one of the shelves. There's, like, the skulls of dead animals and stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't think that was ever in his kind of, you know, uh, philosophy, you know, So I don't know what was going on <laughs> on that shelf, but there's yeah. candles with, with skulls, you know, like. <laughs> I guess, Satanist-type, like goats. Like, they look like goat skulls.
0: <laughs> You've got to believe yeah. that there was a memo sent out to the production team uh, that were like, like, just go out, at department, go out, here's some money, just get as many bladed implements as you can find. <laughs> and just weird shit, scary shit, medical shit. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, because it's creepy. I did that in a short film recently, actually. It's not out yet, but I needed like a creepy... Basement looking thing, and I just got a bunch of medical equipment. I was like, Pin them all to the wall for no reason, (laughs) just make it look so creepy. (laughs) Well,
2: I I assume they had to explain why candles were in the room because it it becomes a plot point later, so I guess they just figured out put some skulls next to the candles.
1: (laughs) Um, what I think is weird about the stakes here is that it's like, um, You have to keep them alive or you'll die. Um, And obviously, we understand that she has to keep him alive until the conclusion of the B story, which is Jeff, which we'll get to in a sec. But also, it kind of proceeds on the assumption that when a cancer patient dies, it's the fault of the doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, um, I was like, like, well, you know, it's like, you have to, to, under no circumstances can he die on your watch. It's like, that might happen anyway. He has a massive brain tumour.
2: Well, you know, actually, ironically, within the later lore developments of of saw it is a doctor's fault that jigsaw died of his cancer because they they mixed up his uh whatever it was the x-rays i think in one of the later Mm. films
1: shit yeah Uh uh-huh of course jesus so those are the stakes lynn like i say surgeon extraordinaire uh has to keep jigsaw alive until jeff completes his game and here we meet jeff denlin
0: yeah angus mcfadgen hometown hero he's from glasgow oh really yeah he was
2: robert the bruce and braveheart Oh, wow. That's cool. I, I had no idea.
0: There you go. His
1: second most iconic role to
2: date. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Jeff. I think Jeff, out of all of the heroes from the Saw movies, if, if you can call them that, I think he got screwed the most.
1: Yeah, so I, I think that Saw three of the kind of B-stories in the franchise, because I think that like the further into the series you go, the more clearly delineated the B-story is from the kind of the Jigsaw versus, uh, or like the kind of like Hoffman versus the world kind of thing, yeah. and yeah. how Jigsaw's legacy kind of plays into that. I think like that feels like it functions more and more independently from the B story the further into the series that you go. I, I think, think
0: that here that gets a lot more kind of a comment on money grubbing capitalists as it goes on.
1: I saw six certainly is. Yeah, but, but yeah. yeah, five is two, I guess. Yeah, because of the real estate thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Here I think they're still quite closely kind of interlinked. But I think that in terms of the actual personal story that they put into the B story, Jeff one is by far the most compelling.
0: Agreed.
2: Yeah, they did a really good job of, of making him kind of this tragic character, where uh, you know you you can feel for him with his with his son being involved in a you know a car crash, and you know having to you know forgive the people that were involved in you know his pain. I, I think they did a good job of tying that all together
0: yeah also you need to remember this poor bastard goes through all of this in his pajamas
3: (laughs) it sucks that he only has like literally a minute to decide too Like, (laughs) Like, you know i think it was a bit unfair especially the one with the frozen woman You know, like, for a few squirts, he's like, oh, you know, the times where they squirt in the water, he's like, you know, I just want you to suffer for a little bit like I did. And then, like, I think he has the intention of letting her out, but he just, you know, within, like, 20 seconds, then she's dead.
0: (laughs) Even Uh, in the rack towards the end, he gets, uh, like, he spends a lot of time procrastinating and thinking (laughs) about what's going on, but the trap is way ahead of the game. Like, the trap's twisting that guy up by the time he's reached any kind of conclusion
3: yeah i would have just shot him because that's a really bad painful at trap. what
0: point do you think it's not worth saving that man
3: i, I don't know I, I think that anyone <laughs> wouldn't want to put him through that much pain he was sorry right i i can't no, I,
2: I, I think he bet at what point in in his limbs being twisted would it oh. not be worth saving him anymore because he's deformed like just in pain and
3: yeah i i mean i crippled. i really never watched that trap so i can't remember but doesn't he have does <laughs> He not mean to. It was an accident or something. Oh, he
2: tried. Yeah, Jeff tries to save him. It's right. just oh, uh, no. Yeah, I he just... can't. What was it? He couldn't find the keyhole, right? To put the key. Oh, all
3: right, that's
1: just not. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I kind of feel like the keyhole's not being immediately visible on these things is like the biggest fuck you. Like, so like when you like when you do everything else, and it's like here's the key, let him out, and it's like where's the keyhole? It's like ah, who knows.
2: <laughs> Especially since that's John Kramer's favorite. Favorite trap that he designed. You know, you would think that he would have had it in a intuitive place.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. um Which, which I think actually kind of makes it feel like more of a deliberate and antagonistic choice, and more of a dick move. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah like he likes it. That's what I mean. It's like I think that John Kramer is like all about like, oh, I want to rehabilitate people, but there's a good percentage of him being like, I want them to die violently.
1: Yeah, or at least to suffer a bit.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, but a lot, really.
1: Cool, you touched on something there. And I mean, like, so Jeff goes through three tests where he's confronted with three people who are all involved uh, to varying degrees with the death of his son. And we do understand, we get a little bit of background about Jeff. We see that uh, his son has been killed by a drunk driver. He has been handling this very poorly. He's kind of become this like struggling alcoholic. It's become at the of him being able to particularly look after his other kid, his daughter Corbett particularly well. So the three traps that he goes through, he meets three people who are all kind of uh, complicit to varying degrees in uh, the death of his son. And the first one, like I say, that he meet is uh, Danica Scott, a witness that didn't testify. She's chained up in an ice room, and she's getting sprayed with these, uh, these kind of jets of ice-cold water. And I agree that his inclination is to save her, but also his inclination is to kind of let her twist in the wind for a little bit, and his intention is never really to let her die. I think that that carries over into all of the traps that Jeff goes through. I think that, like... um, you get the impression that he's a good guy broadly, but morality's a spectrum, and he also, like, when he's in that position, he's like, yeah, you're going to suffer for a sec, though. Yeah. For as much as I think that the ice room trap is horrific, I do think that it is kind of amusing at the end when he goes to try and let her out, and she's frozen in a block of ice like David Blaine.
3: But then I feel like he would have learned his lesson into the next trap and freed the person much quicker, and he doesn't, and that's annoying.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes though, I think in saw films, it's the little things that are the most unnerving. Like anytime you see anything to do with Eric Matthews in this film, and he's invariably tripping over his broken ankle, or he's getting his broken ankle kicked. That stuff I think affects me a lot more than a lot of the other stuff. But similarly, when Angus Macfadyen gets that freezer burn on his cheek, I think that's horrible.
1: Yep, Chloe, was that another squirm moment when Andy said "broken ankle kick" just there? I think it was.
3: Anything with like bone cracks for me like I've never broke a bone so I'm like very you know nervous about that and I hate Mm. the sounds like like even if I close my eyes if I can like hear it that knocks me sick so like that and then that horrible trap in this movie like just makes just like makes me super nauseous. It's such a good film, but it's just so awful.
1: When I sat down to rewatch it, I was kind of like, like I say, I, I remember, like, uh I was like, because I, I really, really like the film, but I remember after, like, I think it was maybe the second trap where I was like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, man, this is going to be a hard graph to mine
2: this for jokes. <laughs> uh,
0: uh, yeah, I said something somewhat off mic, actually, to Philip and Chloe. It's, uh, a hard one to dig for lols.
2: There's some funny lines in the film though that I always laugh at, you know, in in terms of the writing. Like obviously not during the trap scenes, but I think with Amanda has a couple singers that I always I always chuckle. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think that um uh I think that the entire way that Amanda is portrayed in this whole film is interesting because I think that the film sells you so hard on especially as it goes on and you see kind of what she does and you don't understand why she does it. The film And I think it's kind of a bold move and kind of an audacious move on the part of the entire franchise where it's like, it sells you so hard on her being an antagonist and doing these things that don't seem to make sense and seem to be these incredibly counterintuitive things. And the film, like the, the films or the series, like is quite happy to sit back and wait another two films before it answers those questions. This is like really on first watch. And it's difficult to remember now because this film came out in like 2007 or something, but like, I think that it's really difficult to remember exactly how maddening some of that stuff is on first watch. Cause you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> and it takes, and, and it doesn't resolve itself for until years after the fact.
2: Yeah. And I, I really do like, you know, speaking to Amanda that Saw three is really kind of a exploration of whether or not John Kramer's philosophy works. And, and with the reveal that, you know, it being amanda's test ultimately you know it's just a neat way to kind of wrap up the trilogy like she was in each one of the films and and her character kind of develops alongside jigsaw's character in in each movie and to have the ultimate question of the film be you know did it work or not did did amanda's test ultimately work and and does that justify everything that john kramer's done I think it's a cool way to to you know wrap up the trilogy
0: yeah, it also kind of brings into question of uh was any of this worthwhile is she still as big a prisoner as she was before she went into her trap and her game does she have a, any more quality of life now
3: no it's worse because she's still cutting herself and she's murdering people
0: <laughs> she so just... like if
3: anything he like <laughs> he, told, made a monster. Yeah, he made someone really awful um that's uh, yeah i mean i think that's so interesting i i like that though i like that it's so interesting like that because john is like the perfect villain because he's a guy who like legit feels like he's doing good mm-hmm. and not helping anyone and he's just an awful person but in his mind he's like i'm really rehabilitating people you know yeah, like an
1: absolute moral crusader totally
3: yeah and and I think they're the like creepiest scariest characters cuz they're like convinced that they're doing good and they're just awful.
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean I mean I mean
0: yeah. Anyway, Mitch, with Danica dead, it's uh, onwards for Jeff to the next game zone. Kind of like a weird, twisted version of the Crystal Maze. Kind of thought the same thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, Judge Holden, uh, lenient sentencer and uh, soon to be drowning in a vat of eviscerated pigs. Again, this is really, really grimy and awful, but I think that for as much as uh, watching the judge drown in this kind of animal slurry is awful. I think that out of the whole series, I think that this might be the trap that packs the biggest emotional punch.
0: Because of what he has to do to save the judge.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that, yeah, because he's kind of like uh, the only thing that will survive in this furnace is the key, but the furnace is filled with his dead kid's possessions.
2: It's so screwed up when when you hear it out loud. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. This is Tobin Bell's favourite trap in the entire series. And uh, I absolutely love it. I think it's foul.
1: Yeah, I've been inclined to agree. I think that um yeah, I think this is horrible. I think that I think that the actual like I say I think that the actual machinations of the trap are fine, but I think that in terms of like what it actually makes the characters do, it's incredible in terms of just how confrontational and horrific it is.:
2: Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, that poor judge, you know yeah, I, I can't imagine it. being him what happened to him after that he gets his face half blown off by the shotgun in the next next trap but he does he uh, Jeff saves him but it's just it's so so tragic for him you know I feel bad he, he's sitting there again pig guts thrown at him and he has to hope to god that this guy burns his dead child's possessions <laughs> I think, you know one, one of the things that Chloe and I were discussing last night is how most of the traps well, all the traps in Jeff's game you know, rely on Jeff making decisions. Like, there's no way for any of the characters who are in the traps to survive themselves. So, you know, all of them just got to wait and hope that Jeff is kind.
3: (laughs) So frustrating, because, like, then that goes against, like, the original thing that John was saying. He's like, you know, you have to, you know, want to live. And then he puts someone else's life in someone else's hands. It's very upsetting for Lynn, who did everything right and then gets shot it's just
1: yeah
2: different.
3: then his whole like theory doesn't make sense
2: well in, in jigsaw's defense those people did have a choice to get out of the trap by you know having to choose whether or not to convince jeff you know to let them out like they they weren't completely helpless they could use their words
3: what like, lynn felt like a gun in her face and she's like please don't kill me and then they kill her she's like What else can she do? Like, Amanda was gonna kill her. Well,
2: you can be nasty or you can be nice. She was
3: gonna do it regardless.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Also harder to use your words when you've got a mouth full of rotten pig guts.
3: Oh, yeah.
2: (laughs) Uh, Jigsaw apologist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I love that you're like, uh, in
0: defense of Jigsaw. You're like, whoa, hang on a minute.
2: I love the fact that, that like
1: the judge survives this and he kind of assumes the role of like irksome sidekick for like five minutes until he dies in the next scene. Yeah. Um Yeah, the rack.
0: Well, before the which... rack, there's an extended oh, mm-hmm. surgery scene, which I think's very impressive like, from a practical effects point of view.
1: I'd forgotten this was first. Yes. The mm. uh the emergency brain surgery scene is, I think, a real feat, actually. It's, it's also like six minutes long, mm. and it's so dense to look at.
0: So this film got submitted to the NPEAA seven times to try and avoid a, a NC-17 rating, um, to get that R rating so that people would actually be able to go and see it. This scene was not one of the scenes that was in question at any point. Um, really? Yep, there was never a question in the NPEAA's mind that this scene. This scene's completely uncut and whatever version you watch, I think their argument was that you can see this kind of thing on television, you can see this kind of thing on like medical documentaries and stuff like that, so I think their argument was that this stuff's believable and it's not in any way, I guess, fetishizing the violence like some of the other scenes do.
2: And nobody's getting tortured in the scene, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's very much just a medical procedure happening.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. I would still, I would say that possibly next to the rack i would say that it might be the hardest scene to watch in this though
3: no it's definitely the rack surgery <laughs> <laughs> scene does not bother me at all really yeah like i that like of all the scenes that's the one i can watch because <laughs> i don't know it's i, I think i guess because it's just medically gross so it's not like and he's fine with it you know it's not like this excessive torture that someone doesn't want she's literally trying to save his life and he's like you know, he's got something to numb the pain too, which is so frustrating, the fact that he's putting other people through extreme pain and she's like, hey, let me help you with this um, painkiller.
1: is like what you were screaming for at that point, a sweet, sweet, un- anaesthetized brain surgery.
3: Yeah, I'd be <laughs> like, unfortunately, the painkillers won't work with this. So you just have to experience the whole thing.
1: <laughs> unfortunately, we are fresh out of painkillers. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: but um yeah i th- i think that like from a pra- from like a performance standpoint a practical effects thing a sound design thing i think that this is really really great
2: yeah i i always squirm when you hear the the drill bit touch the yep it's just that clank sound that's just oh man it's it's so gross
1: <laughs> it's 100% the worst part for me as well i totally agree yeah no uh, that's it's it's horrendous but ultimately of course she does the job because lynn uh, as you said Chloe, i think probably the most innocent casualty of this film
2: well she did cheat on her husband let's not forget yeah, that.
3: she just deserved to die <laughs> Like.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> i get the impression that you guys are going to be arguing about this long way after the mic's turn off tonight
3: super comfortable in my relationship feels like she did cheat (laughs) what
1: But yeah, let's um let's talk The Rack. The culmination, or kind of the culmination of Jeff's tests where he meets uh, Timothy Young, the driver of the car, the drunk driver that killed his son. Uh, the Rack is kind of generally seems to be remembered alongside the reverse bear trap as the kind of one of the more iconic traps of the whole series where this guy is getting his limbs and neck twisted into these awful directions until he dies. So on rewatch this time around, what I thought was that i think that the actual kind of machinations and mechanisms of the trap are amazing the way to get out of it feels like an afterthought to me
0: <laughs> but doesn't doesn't that feed right what you mean the shotgun thing
1: yeah i can i i i think that like i think that if you could have complemented how nasty the trap is with something a little bit harder hitting than that then i think
2: that it probably would be the number one right okay yeah I, yeah, I I can see that. I also uh, I, I want to let everybody listening know that uh, Chloe has taken a convenient bathroom break during this part of the discussion. So,
0: oh, that's how <laughs> okay. <all> it is.
2: <laughs> so I will be giving both of our opinions for the uh, the rack.
1: Say <laughs> so, uh, are you are you the elected spokesperson? I,
2: I am. I am on, on her behalf. I will get both viewpoints. <laughs> It's so funny. It, it's just the one thing that she, uh, she can't get through. It's the rack. You know, I I, I think I agree with you in, in regards to the afterthought with how to get out with the shotgun. You know, it's it, it's okay. You know, I, I think that the main focus of everybody's attention is what's going on on the rack. So I guess it probably didn't need to be the an elaborate, you know, solution to the trap. Um, because what's happening over in the other corner of the room is so horrifying. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I I can agree with you that it's you know it's not the most inventive way to get the key. Yeah, although
1: um we do we do see the uh, untimely slash timely depending on your outlook um loss of uh, the judge yes, here because yeah. he's a, he's an accidental victim of the shotgun blast. Yeah, Timothy ultimately dies here, and uh, yeah, I think it's fair to say that this is an absolute ordeal. But basically, <laughs> at this point, the brain surgery has happened, the three tests have happened, and what we're pulling in towards sharply here is kind of the final standoff of this thing. And I'd actually forgotten how dizzyingly this film layers on twists and conundrums and revelations at this point, because it really is almost impossible to keep up with.
2: Yeah, well, I, I will say Saw 4, I think, becomes a little bit more more dizzying <laughs> in regards <laughs> to the, the revelations that happen at the end of that one. Um, but But yeah, it's like nonstop twists in this one i think that's the thing that i really love about the third one is just when you think you've figured out the story there's another layer to it like it's so layered and dense the last you know 15 minutes are, are just filled with revelations and uh, i just want to let you guys know chloe is also conveniently back now from the bathroom
1: <laughs> oh okay hi y- y- you know what you missed nothing
2: saw <laughs> <laughs> so the rack ah! <laughs>
1: Are you just like oh, look at the time?
2: <laughs> I, I just, without going into any detail, I'm just curious now, and, and don't describe anything. But what is it about that trap that makes it unwatchable for you compared to all the other ones in the series? Because there has, yeah. at its core, that makes it difficult for you to even talk about.
3: I, I just, it's just like really, it's just such. Really awful, prolonged torture. It's like the individual things happening. It's like slowly just hurting and hurting him, and it's just like I don't know. It's just that's just really awful. Okay, that's fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's a a pretty normal reaction. (laughs) (laughs) Like, for most people to like be like i just don't like extreme pain like...
1: i like i mean i mean i i'm just i'm just you know what i'm gonna mention it once and never mention it again you guys could have picked any film in the world <laughs> mitch by um, the way i haven't yeah,
0: at all mentioned all the cogs and gears that are in this film I'm Oh just my god! gonna give me started. move on all right Yep. Mm
1: hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Jeff completes his tests. Good for Jeff. He gets to the finale. Amanda refuses to take off Lynn's shotgun collar despite the fact that she's held up her end of the deal.
0: Good for Jeff. He's left that absolute swathe of corpses behind him. <laughs> yeah, hmm
1: Yeah. Like I, I see he's completed his test. He's kinda of blundered through them. Yeah, like I was gonna say two out of three people have died, but yeah, they're all dead, he's aren't they? He's
0: literally walked from room to room and stuff has happened. It's <laughs> true. Yeah, he's 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 he's,
1: he's oh he's over three, really. Yeah, yeah, actually yeah, let's not like, yeah, you're right. He hasn't he hasn't completed his test, he's gotten to the
2: end of this building. <laughs> he did fall from like, you know, ten feet inside of a crate. So uh, oh, yeah. get...
3: what if he'd have broken his spine? i thought about that actually i was like you could literally yeah you could break your legs your back during that like all them people would have been like royally fucked if he died falling out the box
1: (laughs) (laughs) it would have been amazing if everyone had just died under horrible circumstances because he was just like nursing a broken ankle he's
0: also unconscious for an undetermined amount of time
1: yeah i think i think that it's fair to say that there's there are elements of this plan that leave a certain amount of chance So, Amanda, at this point, she, like I say, she kind of says that she's renounced Jigsaw's beliefs. Again, this makes her an extremely maddening character in a way that the series will not explain for, I think, three more films.
0: Oh, sure.
1: But at this point, because I spent, like, a large amount of the time that I was watching these films for the first time thinking that she was, like, an absolute antagonist. You don't understand, like, the pressure that she's under and the blackmail and stuff like that until way later. And I actually, I really, like I say, I think that that's a really gutsy move and I really like that. But in this moment... She is an incredibly infuriating character to watch because basically, what you think she's doing at this point is undoing basically everything that you've seen up to up to this point. She's sure. kind of erasing the stakes, which I think is clever, but also, like I say, just incredibly maddening in the moment when she <laughs> kill or when she shoots Lynn and things like that.
2: Yeah, it, I, I think it's you know the the trajectory of Amanda over the course of the film is as kind of being this like jealous child of jigsaw where she's like why don't you know why don't you love me and and you know to the point where jigsaw even says i love you to lynn during his you know flashback where we we didn't even mention that we see his wife for the first time in the series i believe uh -hmm. you know hinting at you know further developments down the line but but yeah it all kind kind of comes to a head in that moment where she decides to shoot lynn and you know if she had just paid more attention to Jigsaw's word games and and listen that he was testing her, <laughs> she wouldn't have done it.
3: In the later films though, it's she was being bribed, right? So she had to. Isn't
1: that the yeah, yeah so blackmailed. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I I actually um I I wanted to Double check, like I say, when I say three films, like I'm pretty sure that it's saw six that you find that out. But yeah, you're right, Claire, you're, uh, you're spot on. It's like um, she's been getting blackmailed by Hoffman yeah. to basically kind of remove herself from the kind of apprentice hierarchy by doing these things that kind of like willfully go against what he's setting out to do.
0: But don't you also think yeah. that there's an element here where John is like saying to her, "Look." don't do this, you need to reconsider your actions here because you're going down a road, you're not going to be able to cycle back from. But do you not also think there's an element of him poking the bear to an extent? Because she's like, going through this, almost like a breakdown, like she's really struggling with her emotions, struggling with what she's going to do. But there's almost this kind of needling going on from John because he just keeps going and going and going. It's almost as if he wants to push her as far as she can, he can to see if she can cycle back
2: from it.
1: I literally also wrote poking the bear in my notes. I used that exact, uh, that exact expression.
2: Well, there you go. That's he was freaking out last night when she was saying, just shut the hell up, jigsaw <laughs> because he he's kind of, you know, prodding her along to, you know, to make a mistake in a way, like by, by telling her to, you know, assess the situation and everything. It's pissing her off more when he probably yeah. could have just said, you know, don't
3: shoot her. <laughs> yeah, and but
2: like it wouldn't be a test. So
1: yeah, Chloe, I actually hadn't considered it until you mentioned it. But you're right. I mean, like considering he kind of obviously like the like both he and the series and the way it's, like frames him as being this kind of arbiter of morality, it is funny how he's kind of like egging her on to not do the wrong thing, but kind of like kind of try and influence her judgment.
3: Yeah, it's it's. I just thought that was stupid of his character, and the only reason he would want to do that is if he secretly wanted them to fail, or he likes extreme violence. I mean, he puts, you know, the, there's got to be a million ways that you could think about teaching someone a lesson that doesn't involve like having them like saw off their arm and stuff. So he, he's <laughs> a part of him that's like, let's go this route, like that he likes it a little bit, because <laughs> he's I mean, little, I mean... like the. the before um uh what's he called jeff's gonna kill him he's like i i think that jeff was actually gonna just leave him and leave with lynn he's like do you remember all the the tortures that you i just made you do can you can (laughs) you still forgive me and it's like shut up
1: (laughs) just just in case you forgot i did a lot of horrendous shit just just reminding you (laughs) did some really horrible stuff but you do you it's your decision yeah so yeah uh amanda shoots lynn jeff shoots amanda um and like i say i mean at this point this is where uh john jigsaw gets like he kind of sermonizes quite a bit uh basically says that lynn's test was actually amanda's he knew that she was kind of renouncing this whole belief thing of his this was a larger scale test to see if uh if she could handle it he now obviously thinks that she can't Amanda dies lynn not dead yet john and jeff then becomes this kind of like final face off of this uh john says he can get an ambulance here in four minutes not sure how he's conf- like so confident in those numbers <laughs>
2: <laughs> well the audience doesn't know but hoffman's right next door in his own little trap faking that he's being held captive so maybe that was his way of getting an ambulance here
1: but yeah he basically says like you know there's a way out of this jeff if you'll forgive me uh Jeff, I think, I, I think it's fair at this point for characters to not understand that when he tells you, when Jigsaw tells you to do something, you should just do it, even if it feels like the wrong thing. Like, I think that later on in, like, Saw 5 and 6, when you see people die, because uh, either Jigsaw or Hoffman tell them to do something, and they're like, fuck you, I won't do that, and then they die. And it's like, well, by this time, you should really know. <laughs> That, like, if he tells you to do something, just, like, even if it's against your instinct, do it. But I think at this point, we don't know enough about how he works for this to necessarily be a bad decision of Jeff's Um, on the face of it. Obviously, it is, because uh, he but he doesn't know the stakes. He kills him. And uh, with that, the shotgun collar discharges. Lynn dies. Everyone dies, pretty much, apart from Jeff, actually. This is, like, filling up... This room is filling up with, like, a Hamlet level of dead bodies.
2: You know, the Hello's that music starts playing as, like, the collar beeps. Like, I, I just... I laugh every time that that happens. Cause it's just so ironic. <laughs> the revelation is like, he thinks that he just killed this guy that, that, uh, has tortured him for the past, you know, a few hours. And really he just killed his wife <laughs> in that moment. And it's just, yep. I'm, I'm a sicko for laughing, but I just like this kind of like gleeful, like, aha, you should have known <laughs> like those moments. And then the music just kind of cheekily kicks in there. It's just perfect.
1: <laughs> See, Phil, I think that your and my attitudes to these things are very similar. I also have this weird kind of reveling in the told you so moments in these things. <laughs> 100%. At this point, I mean, we're pretty much done. Like I like to say, the only survivor that we have here at this point is Jeff. Every, really? Everyone else in the room is dead. Everyone else is and... dead,
0: but we have a, at this point, still surviving daughter.
1: Yes. Yes, Corbett. But for my oh, god. Long? Yeah, yeah, can't blow past that. Yeah, because I'm uh, now trapped in an unlo- uh, in an unknown location. Uh, that secret dies with John.
0: Oh, dear. <laughs> well, uh...
2: <laughs> well. no, will, the the final thing is, you know, if you want to find her again, you're going to have to play a game. So it kind of sets up this thing that Jeff's got a whole other thing that he's going to have to go through um, that, you know, unfortunately never gets, you know, we never get to see what that game would be. But Do
3: they ever find his body in the later ones?
2: Hoffman in five saves Jeff's daughter. Yeah. To left, like a hero.
3: Yeah, but what happens to Jeff? Do we ever find that out? We don't.
2: I yeah, think. no. Uh what Agent Strom shoots Jeff, I believe, in 4.
0: Yeah, and then and they because they find Jigsaw's body, so they obviously find Jeff.
1: You're right. Yeah, no, you're right.
2: It's it's Strom that shoots Jeff in the fourth one. Cuz the next
0: wow, film yeah. starts with John Kramer's o- autopsy. Yes.
2: That's which right. Is a great twist. I know we're not here to talk about 4, but that's such a cool time twist. <laughs>
1: i actually um i i decided i i was gonna set aside trying to figure out exactly what we learned and saw Four that informs this and i think like apart from the fact that obviously kind of like to spoiler it a little bit obviously we find out that they're kind of largely on concurrent timelines a lot of the kind of big revelations that tie back into this don't come until later on but so four, I think, is a considerably weaker film, but it does round this out in a nice way. Like I think that like it's not a particularly I don't think it's a great film, but it's a it plays okay as a companion piece to this.
0: Agreed.
2: I think uh, four has one of my favorite moments in all the franchise when <laughs> Detective Riggs is deciding whether or not to break into the door to you know rescue Detective Matthews. And, like, it's like a, a, a Ruth Goldberg machine with, like, one thing after another, like, people getting shot, dying. It, it's just another one of those giddy moments at the end of four. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, they, they take out Matthews, too, there. Um, he was another great character.
1: Yeah. Andy?
0: Yes, yeah, Mitch. Hi. On rewatch, how did you find this? I still like this one. I still think it's great. I think if the Saw films had died here it would have been fine. The only question I would have had was what was on the tape that gets covered in wax? Uh-huh. I don't mind not knowing what happens to the little girl, such is the nature of uh, the genre that we find ourselves in, Mitch, collateral damage. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll um, tell you But I would yeah, have I been so. like, what was on that tape? What was on the tape? But yeah, I, I had a great time watching this again. It, it is, for my money, probably the most gruelling out of all of them in terms of the, the gore. and Coming from me, um, who's had his own films referred to as gruelling, and had
1: people pass out during screenings?
0: Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the hardest one to watch, but I also think it's the last time Star was truly great. Like I said earlier, I agree with most of that. Well, you like part six, so there's no kind love of a part taste. six.
1: Yeah, guys, this was a good pick. I think that, like, um, if you were like, I think that if you were going to pick one of the two of three and four, then like I say, I think this is comfortably the better film and probably the easier ride to defend. But I think that this kind of marks a widening out of the story that. I think that the franchise goes on to not get right every single time, but I think this is one of the more convincing kind of leans into a B story and the kind of things that you learn about the Insilia characters and Getting you to invest in these characters that you kind of know in yourself, even on first watch, aren't going to make it past this film. But um, it was really nice to revisit this, and I would say that like it's 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 up there amongst my favourites in the series. So good pick, and thanks for bringing it to the table. Is what I would say.
0: Just a quick question before we move on to talking about the honeymoon phase: What's everyone's individual favourite trap in the franchise?
2: Oh, what, what a
3: sick question! <laughs> <laughs>
2: I feel like mine's like so boring, but the uh, the bathroom, you know, from the original one. I just think it's, it's such a great great setup for for a film where you wake up with another person and you don't know who you, who you are or who they are, why you're there, and turns out that the the person that put you there is right there, <laughs> dead on the floor or acting like they're dead on the floor.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it's difficult to argue with. I mean, it is amazing. Chloe, what about you?
3: I really like the needle pit in um, the oh, second yeah. one because it's so mm-hmm. unique to her character you know it's like literally yep. a trap that is designed around like her problem and i i think that's really cool and gross
0: yeah it's it's amazing yeah i quite like the pound of flesh trap that's is
1: that the beginning of it's the beginning of six isn't it yeah yeah uh-huh i like that one too i would say i really like uh in terms of just like something that i think i didn't see coming and it's kind of nasty the razor blade box strap and saw two
0: oh yeah
3: yeah oh yeah <laughs>
1: i think it's pretty great but just like but it's just incredibly uh nasty but i like but i like that one quite a lot and i think probably there's a couple of things that the healthcare guy in saw six goes through that i really like but i think the one where he's got um the two handles and one of them is the kind of old woman with a very large family who is like basically like the idea is like she'll die soon anyway and the young healthy guy with no family of friends and he has to choose which one to kill
0: that's right. Yeah.
2: Oh, great. When they when they like flash the photos of the guy's family, and then they flash these overdramatic photos of the guy being lonely. You know. Yes. I <laughs> yeah. fucking hate part six
1: oh uh, yeah like it's like yeah i think that that might be my favorite one actually i love that a lot and also in saw six actually the uh the janitor um that smokes a lot and um, when they have to hold their breath with the big rib clamp things I well into that
3: right though i i love the ones that are really like circumstantial to the actual character's problems
1: i think the, the yeah the, the closer it can tie into their kind of individual narrative the better and the more kind of heft it has i think
2: the carousel is great too. And- ah,
1: it's so fun! Yeah. <laughs> uh, and
2: now we're becoming a Saw Six podcast. Uh, yeah,
1: Saw Six is great. Fuck you, Andy.
3: My <laughs> <laughs> favorite trap to let's talk about everyone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should probably just see. Uh, we should probably just roll in under this before we just talk about every single one. Hey, um,
3: question. do you guys? I don't know if anyone does this because I do. Does anyone else hold their breath during that trap with the smoker, like to see if that like, you could outbeat him? as an actual person. I'm a chronic asthmatic,
0: <laughs> I'm, smart,
3: I'm like fucked. I do it in like <laughs> um, scuba diving movies or anything where someone has to hold their breath. I'm like, I kind of just naturally hold my breath with the character, just from anxiety. <laughs>
0: do,
1: do, like, do, do you get to get to the end of it and be like, huh, I would have won.
3: Nice. <laughs> <It's> pride, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of know what you mean. I kind of feel like I need to pit myself against them or at least think what i would do or how i do but most of the time i just think it's like no like realistically i would just stay where i was and just die (laughs) yeah
0: yeah, that's exactly how i approach it
1: guys uh obviously um one of the reasons that we reached out to you guys to come and uh join us on the show this week was because the honeymoon phase played at the uh, online edition of fright fest just last month there so i saw it there i thought it was great i thought it was really really interesting and obviously i think like want to hear more from you guys about it at the time, I didn't realize that you guys were husband and wife, and when I did, mm. I found this—I found this out afterwards. And I looked at it, and I was like, "Huh, interesting film to make together." <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, how it came together and a little bit, kind of, like the genesis of the idea and those kinds of things?
2: I want to, sure. Yeah, so that for anybody that hasn't seen the honeymoon phase, uh, the honeymoon phase is about the struggling young couple. Who enters an experiment that's paying $50,000 for couples to live in a remote smart house in the mountains for a month, while their relationships analyzed to try and figure out why couples fall out of the honeymoon phase? And uh, Eve, played by Chloe, um, slowly starts to go mad as she begins to question if her lover Tom is really the man that she thinks he is. Um, and then, as the film goes on, you know, there's some some cool twists and turns that happen. But the origin of it was really, um, you know, Chloe and I had gotten married in 2016. And, you know, we wanted to make a feature film together. Uh, it would be a first for both of us. Chloe's never starred in a feature and I've never directed one. We were trying to come up with a concept that was something that would kind of marry both of our interests. So for me, I love, I love psychological uh, thrillers and, you know, drama, sci-fi, and Chloe loves horror movies. So we thought, uh, you know, a sci-fi psychological thriller would kind of be a perfect, you know, marrying of those those themes that we both love or the genres that we both love. And we were laying in bed one night trying to come up with a concept that was, you know, very heady. And, uh, you know, I turned to Chloe and I was like, Chloe, you know, it would be so, so creepy to wake up tomorrow and look at me and think, you know, is, is he really the person that I believe he is? Like, is he different? You know, it, it, what if I look the same, but inside something had changed. So this kind of theme of, you know, trust and wondering, you know, how well can you really know your partner kind of came about through there and really directly impacted the plot. Then I don't don't want to spoil anything, but kind of those, those fears that we had about being a young couple uh, were explored in the honeymoon phase then cool okay
1: i mean i I, like i I thought this was really interesting Mm. i think i think that um i think it it kind of and again i don't want to dig too much into where it ultimately goes but i think that it manages to kind of move from this kind of very insular and kind of very introspective portrayal of this relationship and this kind of Fraying trust and that kind of thing into something a little bit more ambitious a little bit broader in a way that i can't remember seeing anywhere else and yeah i thought i thought it was really interesting how did you find the uh the digital fright fest experience for an international
0: premiere
2: oh we we absolutely loved it you know going into the the digital experience it was our first digital fest so we weren't really sure what to expect and we've heard such great things about Fright Fest we were really gutted when we found out we couldn't be there in person with everybody but Chloe found this Fright Fest group on Facebook uh, Mm -hmm. you know full of people that were virtually attending so I I joined the group and then you know it was probably my favorite festival experience because I got to interact directly with people that watch the movie even more so than I would have at an actual festival. Because at a festival, you know, you're kind of, you, your time's divided by, you know, how many minutes you have between your screenings. But on Facebook, yeah. we were able to, you know, talk directly to as many people as wanted to ask questions about the movie. And we got to see kind of firsthand comments, you know, people's reviews. And it was just a really great experience, you know, in terms of interacting directly with fans and then also seeing, you know, what people thought about the movie. So. Uh, would you agree, Chloe?
3: Yeah, I thought it was, it was super awesome. It was probably um, one of the most uh, one of those festivals where like the audience is super into you know the films and they like they're excited about it, which is it's really cool because a lot of film festivals you go to it's normally the filmmakers who are taking up the seats, um, <laughs> but a lot of these people like are just fans of Fright Fest, so that's really cool for us.
2: It, it was interesting too because the fans at Fright Fest were so passionate. Um, and, and luckily, we were on the right side of the passion because I saw, you know, if, if people didn't like a film, they were also vocal about that. So I was happy that it seemed like most people enjoyed our film. Uh, oh, yeah.
1: There was a couple of films on the lineup there that cuz I mean I, like that group was kind of the main the main kind of interacting I was doing as well in fact I think that's how I got in touch with you about yeah. uh, doing this but yeah like it's the same every year it's like yeah there are like people when people love stuff they're very vocal and they're very passionate but there were some stuff in there that people were straight up furious about
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think why we also enjoyed it so much is we were shocked at the positive reception of our movie at Bright Fest because we know that the honeymoon phase is it's not like a saw it's not really a gore fest you know there's there's some difficult to watch scenes in the honeymoon i was
1: gonna say that is some stuff in there though
2: (laughs) but it's it's not like a slasher or like a feel-good horror movie like it's very much more psychological you know black mirror-ish so you know we were we weren't expecting to have that kind of response because you know horror people love love their gore but apparently they also love kind of those puzzle boxes too because it, it seemed like the reception at Fright Fest was really good for our movie. So we, we were really fortunate to have a great audience who who checked into our movie. That's, that certainly seemed to be my read of the reception
1: that it got as well. So this, this is available on Amazon Prime in the U.S. right now. Is that
2: right? Yes. Yeah, it's on all okay. the major um, VOD platforms in the U.S. And it, it's funny, I was emailing my... Uh, the distributor this morning, uh, about UK deals and everything. And we're hoping to release in the UK later this year, early next year, but the, uh, I'll tell you guys a little bit, you know, inside info on this. It's, it's really funny because our movie, uh, has a lot of, you know, intimate scenes and, mm-hmm. you know, there's some, there's some violent scenes in there too. And when we were in production with it, we assumed that the intimate scenes would be very controversial in the U S and the violent scenes would maybe not go over as well in Europe and the UK where Chloe's from. And the one offer that we got from a distributor in the UK wanted to basically neuter all of the sex scenes that we have in the movie.
3: Hmm. And,
2: uh, our, our, the woman that I talked to at our distributor, uh, she's from Germany and she was shocked too, where she was like, wow, you know, I I'm from Germany and usually this stuff isn't a problem. So I don't know what's going on. Why the sexual <laughs> content, wants to be cut okay a release but uh i think we're gonna go we're end up uh we're gonna end up going with a different distributor because i as a filmmaker it's hard to kind of uh censor i guess your your vision for the story and i think that in our movie the sex scenes are very story motivated so to cut those up it you know we take away from the intent yeah
1: guys this has been great thanks uh, so much for taking the time Amazing. to do this with us i want to just touch on what are what else are both of you up to because um uh, it sounds like you both have quite a lot going on outside of the funny uh, outside of the honeymoon
2: phase too yes uh chloe what do what do you got cooking?
3: i uh have just finished writing my first feature film um that i'm trying to get off the ground i'm actually going to do a rewrite of it to horror it up a little bit um so that we can push it into one genre. But I sh- I shot the short film proof of concept version of it the start of this year, literally right before COVID. So I got really lucky. Okay. And I put it into the film festival circuit. So I'm hoping to release the trailer soon. I'm just waiting on a festival premiere and then um, I can release that and then start working on the feature film and pitching it to people. And it's, it's called Alicia, uh, although we might change the title um and it's about uh this this young nurse who um gets kidnapped by a vampire to be like her blood bag but they fall in love with each other throughout the whole process so it's a bit Stockholm syndrome-y um but also it's like good meets evil and how they fall in love and kind of change each other you know cool cool. that was the worst pitch ever (laughs) uh,
1: (laughs) um and uh yeah um uh philip mentioned a youtube channel as well
3: yes um my uh company is called fair crypt and it's a bunch of like short horror films um that i make some of them are pretty violent so be warned but uh if anyone watches them please let me know what you guys think and um i will continue to make more
2: great wonderful cool. yeah uh philip what about you so during our quarantine period i was working on my second feature script that i actually uh, i hint to in the honeymoon phase um i love how pixar kind of in each film they have like a little easter egg hinting at what their next movie is going to be so in, in the honeymoon phase tom is a novelist so the novel that he's writing is what will hopefully be my, my second script. Um, oh, cool. Okay. Or second cool. Yeah. And it's called stuck in our heads. And it's pretty much the polar opposite of the honeymoon phase. It's a high school coming of age dramedy. Um, but in keeping with kind of my, my love of psychology and exploring uh, that, that type of stuff, it's about a high school senior, this girl, Evra, who uh, has a panic attack one day and it, unleashes this imaginary doppelganger version of her anxiety it it like personifies her anxiety into an invisible friend um so she has to find a way to banish her anxiety before graduation um so that she can you know get on with her life um so it's very different than the honeymoon phase but still has horror in there like i i Kind of have her various panic attacks and anxiety attacks as different movie genres. So there's like a, nice. <laughs> you know, disaster movie. There's you know the horror movie. Uh, you know, Final Destination esque scene. You know, at a theme park where she's imagining everything that could go wrong. So hopefully it'll be a lot of fun. That's that's kind of what I'm going to go out and, and pitch shortly. So I'm just fine tuning the script. Awesome. God, I will.
1: Uh, on paper i will take all of that that you've got <laughs> <laughs> um guys before you go uh do you want to take a sec to let everyone know where they can get you and your work on social media i get the impression you guys have so much going on that this might take a sec
2: <laughs> <laughs> so for uh for me i'm on twitter at phil carroll jr and the honeymoon phase is on pretty much all the major social media channels um at who you marry to um, or you just search the honeymoon phase film and we'll come up. And uh, I love interacting with, with uh, movie lovers and other filmmakers. So please hit me up on, on Twitter, either at the honeymoon phase or uh, at uh, my name. <laughs> oh, cool.
3: All my short horror films are under my company Fear crypt. Um, they're all on our YouTube channel, which if you type in fair crypt, it will come up. Um, it's like a black background with fair crypt in white writing and uh, we also have it on our website and we're on all the social medias so yeah let me know if you watch any and uh i would love to hear your feedback good or bad <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool
1: uh guys this has been uh this has been so much fun yeah this has um, been very, yeah. yeah this has been a, like and i, I really I, I love talking about saw but also it's really nice talking to you guys understanding a little bit more about the honeymoon phase and about uh the other stuff that you guys have got going on um, so thanks so much for taking the time to come on and being so generous with your time as well as this runs to 90 minutes so, <laughs> um, so thanks
2: for that we're, uh, we're just about at the average length of a Saw film
0: yeah yeah not quite scraping the runtime of Saw 3 however
1: no 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 uh, Yeah, we'd have, we'd have to yammer on for a little bit longer to make that up So even when we're three films away from it in the series, you still just can't help yourself getting those fucking digs in about Saw 6, can you? No, it's garbage. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) I love the fact that they would have done that had we not already done it as an Andy versus Mitch. Big thank you to Philip G. Carroll Jr. and Chloe Carroll, the respective writer and director and star of the honeymoon phase, joining us this week to talk Saw 3. Great time.
0: Yeah, you would have done it again.
1: I totally would have. I was ready to just fly straight into it. I really was.
0: Yeah, get a bit of defence out at the second time round.
1: Aye, okay. Come on now. <laughs> um, but yeah, for our American listeners, if you want to check out The Honeymoon Phase, if that's uh, piqued your curiosity, then uh, you can get it on Amazon Prime over there. And uh, yeah, hopefully some uh, release news coming for the rest of us very soon indeed. But it's a great film. Can't wait for it to get out there and for you guys to get in touch and let us know what you think of it. However, I guess we're done for another one.
0: Yep. They're just Honestly, they'll just drop them with flies.
1: Yep, but we will be back, of course, this Monday with another mini sode I will be continuing my way through the end game of the 90s side quest.
0: <laughs> sure, okay.
1: <laughs> um I will have had some other stuff watched, hopefully you will also. Mm, yeah, I've
0: watched a couple of things already actually this week. Believe it or not. Yep,
1: and we'll be playing Mitch's Pitches, taking a look at your feedback, letting you know everything that you need to know about next week's episode as well. And it's one the film this week is one that a few of you have mentioned just kind of over the last couple of years so I'm looking forward to finally seeing it and I'm looking forward to sitting down and talking about it
0: I can't wait for your opinion on this one
1: yeah, I think it's going to be fun. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do, of course, loads of ways you can do that. Facebook and Instagram, we are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at strongviolentpc and you can email Strong Scenes at gmail.com.
0: Of course, you can. And if you don't know by now, we do have a Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Strong Language Violent Scenes. There's loads of cool things on there and much more to come. And if you're already a patron, keep your eyes on your feeds on Wednesday because we will have another episode of the Irredema. Bowls. Mm-hmm,
1: and uh yeah Whew. well could this be the most let...
0: irredeemable film that we've done
1: i think it might be one of the most irredeemable films that we've done full stop but you've got that to look forward to on wednesday if you're a patron uh don't forget also if you want to talk to other listeners of the show about all things horror and all things strong language violent teens you can do that at our facebook group the Chudlocker.
0: Yeah, yeah. Again, still, I've not been convinced to restart my Facebook page and to have a look on the Chud Locker, but I understand it's all going swimmingly.
1: This is what I'm very curious about. I think that if we talk about it enough, we might be able to coax you back to Facebook. I think that that would be huge, but we'll see. We'll see. I'm not going to count chickens on that one, because I know that you're very resolute in your resistance to that.
0: Yeah, yeah. you'll have a hard time bringing me back into the fold, I think, much. It would be like getting me to go back to church.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell damning indeed we are back this Monday join us then if you can in the meantime don't forget it's better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds goodbye
0: bye guys you've been listening to Strong
1: Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain production and artwork by Andy Stewart find us on Stitcher iTunes Spotify Google Podcasts
0: and Podbean